Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Now give us a call. Yes, the callers have called. Mark from Tauranga, he loves opening up the bet. Marky Mark, morning to you, brother. Morning, Marky. How are you, boys? Hey, good, thanks, mate. How you doing? Bloody good. Nice day up here in Tauranga today. So. Oh, got the guns out. Wouldn't expect... Always got the guns out. You've already been to the gym. <laughs> good man. <laughs> good man. All right. Good luck today, mate. Question number one. Lydia Ko has taken out the CME Group Tour Championship with a $3.25 million New Zealand dollar first place prize. Lydia has won this tournament twice now. What year was her first championship? No idea. Um, 2016. Ooh. Not 2016, Marky from Tauranga. You have a good day, mate. We'll chat tomorrow. Brad from Dunedin, morning. Morning. Morning, morning. Lydia Coe won the CME Group Tour Championship yesterday. When did Lydia win her first championship at the CME? What year? Uh, give the clue, KP. Uh, Germany won the World, World Cup. In that year, soccer World Cup. Uh, 16. Mm. Well, it's 2022. Mm. No, not 2016, sorry. Have a good day. We're going to go to Al from Whangarei. Morning, Al. Morning, boys. How's it going? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Question number one. Lydia Coe has taken out the CME Group Tour Championship. She's won it before. What year was that? Uh, 2018. Ooh, 2018 is incorrect, sorry. Simon from Auckland, morning. Germany. Morning. Morning. Morning, morning, morning. How you going, boys? 2014. 2014 is correct. Well done, Sight. 
Question number two, Novak Djokovic has equaled the record for the most amount of ATP final wins. Which other tennis players has he equaled with? Um, ooh. Uh, is it Nadal? Oh, there is, Nadal. Only, there is only two others. <laughs> Nadal is incorrect. Sorry, brother. Have a good day. Brett from Hutley. Morena, Kazi. Morena. 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 Novak Djokovic equaled. Yeah, the Phoenix Express, of course. It's only one other. Here we go. Question number three. Max Verstappen has taken out the Formula One for 2022. Who finished in second and third as runner up to him? Runners up. Uh, uh, Shao. Shao Leclerc. The King. Yep. And another one. And? <laughs> uh, Sainz? <laughs> oh, it's not Carlos Sainz. Sorry, Brett. Have a good day, brother. We're going to go to Tim from Christchurch. Timmy? How are you, Izzy? Good, thank you, brother. It, good uh, to hear your voice. Not as rich as you, Timmy. It... <laughs> yeah. Got to thank you for that one, Daggy. You went there yesterday. Um, I turned that $50 bonus bet into 750 bucks by putting it on the draw for the All Blacks. Oh, my. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, outstanding. Okay. Well, get this one. Uh, Who finished thir- second and third? Sergio Perez is correct. Question number four. Good luck. FIFA is made up of six smaller <laughs> confederations such as UEFA, the Union of U- European Football Associations. Name, name two of the other confederations that help make up FIFA. Copa and Africa. I'm sorry, Timmy. Sorry, brother. Have a good day, Timmy. We're going to go Lammy from P North. This is a hell of a question. What do you got? What do you got, Lammy? Oh, mate, I've got, I've got nothing, but give me a clue anyway, Kimpy. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Well, the African... We want to clue. If, if, you wa- if you watch the Netflix um, FIFA Uncovered, you'll get it. It's the African nations put together, so... I'll give you the first two syllables in the African nations called <laughs> conquer and something at the end of it. And you get to something at the end of it, and that's two nations, so we'll give you the we'll give it to you. So it's conquer who? Conquer. How good. So are we moving on? Are we moving on? Is that both of them? Yeah, because CAF is the Pay other it. one. No. Pay it. Yeah, uh, oh, well done. AFC, Christian, CAF, no. Conquer CAF, Condom <laughs> of all, and OFC, <laughs> Oceania. That's a tough question. That's a t- that is the toughest ever. <laughs> oh, oh. Christian number five. I bet you won't get this one. Kane Williamson <laughs> will miss out of action against India and Napier tonight as he deals with an injury. What year did he make his ODI debut? Oh, you are. 2011. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Um, <laughs> oh, what? 
Did you guess that? Yeah, I guessed that, brother, because 11's my lucky number, so there you go. There you go. There you go, man. You're awesome. You're awesome. Louis, I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Levy. No, awesome, guys. Get out of, get out of here, Palmer. See you later. Hang up on me. Be naughty. Be naughty. Levy acting up, as always. 2011, absolute Hail Mary. Uh, six and a half away from seven. Speaking of Hail Marys, football's coming home to Amsterdam. Get up, the Netherlands. The best sweep draw I'll ever have, apart from last time I had Croatia, and they took me to the final. I'm going back to the final, boys, because they're one nil up over Senegal. So I'm absolutely loving it. And we'll let you know how that finishes up after this. It's SCNZ. Super Rugby, old picky right now. How good is women's rugby at the moment? Fresh off and all-inspiring women's rugby World Cup. The momentum for the passion for women's rugby has kept rolling with the Super Rugby old picky squads announced yesterday. For the five-week competition started in February, there are 26 World Cup winning Black Ferns who have been named, although some star power will be missing due to Seven's commitments at the same time. Chris Lindrum is NZR's General Manager of Professional Rugby and Performance, and he's with us now. Morning, Chris. Brenda, Izzy, how are you, mate? Good, thank you, mate. Ripping into some sport and rugby is at the top of everyone's minds. I spoke to you yesterday in the lounge, and... Uh, Hey, the success has been uh, it's been awesome. How powerful is the zest and passion for women's rugby game inside NZR at the moment? Does it match that of the publics? Oh, mate, it absolutely does. I'm just immensely proud, and I know everyone in the organisation is. It was a six weeks like no other, but uh, mm. a lot of us have been on the journey with the Blackburns for a lot longer period of time, and um, yeah. You know, it's a program that had some challenges earlier in the year and um, the resilience and strength of the players and just the exceptional talent and drive that they showed, you know, at the end um, was just fantastic. And how good were those final two weeks, mate? Unbelievable rugby. Yeah, yeah they were outstanding, Chris. Hey, just on the, on the um, debut season, what developments have you made from that debut season to the Super Rugby uh, Opaki competition? Yeah, well, it was a pretty challenging um, start, Kempe, last year, obviously, because we were right in the middle of well, mm. this year, uh, last season, I suppose. Um, we were right in the middle of that Omicron outbreak, and we ended up having to, um, if you remember, move all the teams um, to Topo um, yeah. and, and and play everything behind closed doors. So we were really proud of the start, but we mm. didn't really get a fair crack at, at, at the competition the way we want it to look. And... This year, uh, or this coming season, we do get that chance. Um, and so, mate, that's the number one thing, is you're actually going to see crowds there and mm. the competition go around the country. Um, there's a few double headers with the men's Super Rugby Pacific. There's also um, some games at, at bespoke um, smaller venues, which is going to be exciting. I think we kick off um, in Horofanua Kapiti, which is, um, which is pretty cool for that part of the country. And then in terms of the competition itself, we've extended it slightly. Um, so every team is guaranteed five games in the competition. Um, there's a full round robin, everyone plays everyone, and then there'll be a week of semis and, and a week of finals. Mate, since uh, obviously the success over the last month, like so proud of how New Zealand really embraced the game of rugby. And I know World Rugby will be 
really appreciative of, of what they were able to do. 42,000 at their final at Eden Park. Have you noticed yeah. a real increase of people wanting to be a part of the women's game? Have you been approached from an NZR perspective from companies? Like, have you noticed the brand growing from what the last four weeks or eight weeks has been able to do for the game? And, and will we see some increase in the investment into women's rugby? Uh, well, there's a few things. Here's a, here's a fun little um, nugget for you guys. <laughs> this time last year, we'd, um, we'd never ticketed a standalone women's rugby event, right? It had always yeah. just been yeah. roll up and watch it like your club game. And then here we are talking about 42,000 people at Eden Park for the World Cup final. Um, you know, so that's an incredible amount of growth in, in 12 months. Will we see more investment? Yeah, we've, I mean, we've had really good support from um, our big sponsors uh, around the Black yep. Ferns. I'm sure we're going to see more. I'm absolutely sure we will. And certainly just, yep. um, not just the sponsor revenue, but, you know, New Zealand rugby's revenue. What are we going to do for the women's game? Um, obviously, it's been a question that's been asked, and uh, we're ramping up our investment in people and resource. We've got a lot of um, exciting announcements that will come over the next few weeks and months. Um, you know, like as, as great as this last six weeks was, we're certainly not fooling ourselves that, um, that we're there. You know, with heaps of work to do to make the women's game... Um, you know, even better than it, than than we've seen during the World Cup, and we're absolutely committed to doing that work. Yeah. Hey, Chris, just on that, just on that, the market definitely a market for the the women's game, as you're talking about, um, not just here at Eden Park, but when they took it on the road too, they had decent crowds. You've got 26 Black Ferns and also 28 Rocky uh, rookies that come in to the competition next year. Do you think yep. there will be a sharp rise in the in the uh, in the way that the game's played next year? Um, I think so. I mean, I, if, if you look at the, the, the 26 Black Ferns returning, for example, they're, they're coming off their first real 12-month period where they were able to completely prioritise their rugby, um, spend more time learning about the game, focusing on their skills, their conditioning and so on. Um, and, and we're going to um, uh, get more focused and better about how we deliver for all of those players that are playing Super Rugby Opiki in, in terms of their training environments. Um, so I think it will take a step up. I think um, one of the great things about having a World Cup at home um, like this and it being such a so front and centre um, for the rugby public and, and frankly the non-rugby public um, in the country is that people were now able to see that the, the women's game is a it's actually quite a different game from the men's game um, and that's really good you know there's different strengths to the game um, it's less defensively oriented at the moment so it's really open and fast um, and again you know you look at those last couple of weeks in the tournament um, incredibly skillful um, so mm. I, I really hope that um, people get in behind this competition it'll be the first time we get to see uh, those champion black ferns back on the field. Uh, again, and um, I can't wait for February already. I just I, I was earlier on in the year, I was a bit apprehensive of the the sevens players coming into the fifteen games. I thought the transition will be a little bit difficult because totally two different games. But man, they surprised me, and the importance of the sevens players, the athletes that they are, and they're able to provide to the Black Ferns was phenomenal. So for us, can, can they work 
together going forward? How like seven stars will be important to the fifteen game? Can there be a partnership there where we both to, um, sevens and the fifteen sides can work together? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think to see at first point of there should acknowledge that as well. I mean, those girls are phenomenal athletes, right? And people understand that now. The ability to transition between sevens and fifteens the way they did. I know Ruby committed really early to fifteens, and she got the got the chocolates for that uh, yesterday um, as World Breakthrough Player of the Year. Um, but Sarah and Portia, Teresa, um, Stacy, obviously. Um, showed what exceptional athletes they are, but also what exceptional people. Because you know, mate, that dropping into a team late like that, it's not just about being able to transition as an athlete, is it? It's about being able to transition between cultures and, and be accepted. And So the players that were in the program um, already were fantastic about those players coming back in, and those players who did drop back in from the Sevens um, program were, were awesome as well. And... Um, you know, and take my hats off to them. Um, in terms of the future, I think it's, we've got two um, two programs in Blackfern sevens and fifteens that both go to pinnacle events, right? I mean, we had this crazy year this year where we had a Commonwealth Games, a Rugby World Cup sevens, and a Rugby World Cup fifteens, and um, a number of those players that I just mentioned went to all three um, all three of those events. Now, next year, um, focus for uh, those sevens players goes back on sevens because they're building towards Paris. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to play 15s. And I think one of the challenges that's in front of us when we talk about how to grow the women's game is to, is to really figure out how we optimise um, the years for those athletes, um, those that are playing sevens, you know, at what point is playing 15s a bit complementary or, or vice versa, frankly, going from 15s to 7s? Um, and, you know, I would again, I'd say we're not, we're not all the way there to understanding um, that, um, but, you know, some really good pointers out of this year. Hey, Chris, just on the, on the way that the game has, I guess, um, taken off off the field, has New Zealand rugby thought about innovative ways of capturing, I guess, the support? You know, you had the introduction of the poi at the games. There was lots of singing. Um, you had a, that interaction between, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it. Like the media, they, they shove fo- microphones in, in pl- fo- um, coaches' faces. You look at Brad Fittler's State of Origin, for instance, but with the woman, yeah. they actually take that and they own it in that space. Has there been some innovative thinking yeah. around the NZR on how you take these games to the public and what the public actually bring back to the game? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, the, the the as a general rule, the women are different from the men. Eh? Like it's in you know just even walking into team environments as I get to do from time to time. You know, it's totally different, isn't it? The um, Men's environment, guys are a bit quieter. Um, uh, women's environments, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hugging and kissing. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of dancing. Um, it's just totally different, and they bring that to the game um, in their preparation, how they are after the after the game. You know, I mean, one of the absolute moments of the year for me was watching poor old Stacey walk off with ten minutes to go in that final and a standing ovation on the Eastern Terraces at Eden Park and her smiling and waving. I mean, you, that's something that's unique to the women's game. Um, and, yeah, I think we've got um, 
we've got a lot of thinking about how we innovate around the game and an opportunity to do things differently in the women's game. Um, it doesn't need to look like the men's. In fact, I think one of the lessons that we've taken at New Zealand um, this year is that uh, is exactly that. You know, that it shouldn't look like the men's. Don't try to make it like men's rugby. It's women's rugby. It's different, and just really um, amplify those differences because that's that's the differences that make it fun and exciting. All right, just quickly, last one before we let you go. Going forward, what does the international calendar look like for the woman next year? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> next year, no, no, mate, I've, I've got a good answer for you because I think um, okay. in over, over history in the, um, in the women's game, this has been a real challenge, right? Like people, people bemoan the lack of investment in the game and that's a fair thing, um, a, a fair comment if you have bemoaned it, but the reality is we've never been able to show to sponsors a consistent schedule for the Black Sands. You know, they're going to play in this series and they're going to play in that series. And hopefully 2023 is the year that that all changes. We should have um, another uh, Pacific Four tournament um, in the sort of probably the second quarter of the year. Um, and then the big... Um, the big tournament, hopefully, is what we're referring to as WXV or Women's 15s International Nations Tournament, which should happen towards the end of the year, uh, where you'll see the world's best nations, the top six, um, three from the north and three from the south, um, playing against each other uh, in one venue. The venue's TBC at the moment, um, uh, and, and, and World Rugby will... Um, you know, still finalising the details of this, but that's definitely the plan. So, you know, you should see the Black Ferns, we hope, playing, um, you know, somewhere between nine and 11 tests next year. We'll definitely have them playing at home, um, regardless of where those tournaments are hosted. Um, and so, you know, and, and that should roll on um, for, for years after that. So it's pretty exciting that we're, you know, we're actually at the tipping point now, um, having had a home World Cup, where some of these um, pieces to the puzzle that we've been seeking for a number of years in the women's game are actually falling into place. Um, and next three years running into the 25 World Cup in England is going to be, you know, incredibly exciting and, and I would imagine the best years um, yet for women's rugby and, and women in the game in New Zealand. Enjoy, mate. We love you being on the show, and good things take time, mate. A hell of a year for women's sport and women's rugby in the country. It was one of those World Cups that inspired and drew everyone from different parts and walks of life through the uh, airways and to Eden Park. Mate, thanks so much for your time this morning, Lindo. 100%. Thanks, guys. There he is. Nine games. General Manager of Professional Rugby and Performers. Mate, it's, yeah, it's good. Love it. And I've... Mate, 10%, I heard, stat of investment from NZR into women's sport. Oof. Imagine what it's going to be now, because let's be honest, they are women's, uh, the World Rugby Awards yesterday, just recognition for our women athletes, women rugby players, and it was such a good turnout. And, uh, mate, yeah, watch your space. Rachel Burford, heavily involved with that mm. event next year, Kempi, when we went up to Whangarei and she yep, joined us. She's she, great. She told us about that and she actually said, well, do you know what? The beauty of this is because there's nothing, we can actually make a calendar that aligns. 
you know, the, the, and work it in. the re- reality yeah. is we're coming from nothing because that's always been the issue on the men's side of the game, right? Is he? It's just yep. it's been so hard trying to find alignment. But because we're coming from a blank canvas, we can make this happen. Nine to eleven that's why, tests. That's why I reckon like companies and, and uh, like investors will be jumping at this for oh, what the product they saw. One point three million viewers in the UK and here, like <laughs> Lucy Horsa, watch the space. Spoke very well there, Chris Lindrum, um, and mm. you do believe the investment is real. I think they have seen what the public, the, the support, the, and Kempi, great question about how do you take this engagement and then innovate it, and I know what you were, where you're going there, mm. slightly crowbar into the men's side of this game as well. Yeah. Let's make this a New Zealand rugby-wide process. 100%, yeah, and and don't miss the opportunity. I guess that's because they've got a market. That's When you fill stadiums, there's a market, because you know, if you're filling stadiums, you're filling – subscriptions on TV, aren't you? Earlier this morning, England kicked off their World Cup campaign in Qatar in dominant fashion, netting six goals against Iran. Yep, Iran had a bit of a crack, but weren't good enough. However, as much as they try, it's been impossible to escape the ongoing drama and controversy from this World Cup. To touch on their win and the team's frustration with FIFA, we have our good mate Harry Simeo on the line with us from up there in the UK. Hazza! How you going, mate? I'm good, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're really good, mate. Have you um, belted out It's Coming Home Yet, Harry? Is that, that song ruminating through England at the moment? Uh, it, it's starting to catch on, I'm telling you. It's, it's starting to catch on. I'm one of those people that likes to wait a little bit longer uh, before going overboard. I mean, Iran was a game that England were expected to win. I think there was a little bit of apprehension going into it just because in recent tournaments... England have struggled against sides that they should be beating. They've struggled to break down sides that have sat back and been very defensive and stubborn in their approach. But obviously getting the goal uh, when they did in the first half, I think, was was key today because it just opened the floodgates and they exposed a really, really poor Iranian side. But at the same time, you can only beat what's in front of you and you've got to give England immense credit for not just winning the game but going on and winning it so convincingly. (laughs) There's a, obviously I saw a, I saw a, f- a flag or a little a little something written on a piece of sheet that said it's coming home, but I don't know about Harry Maguire. So what's the faith like with Harry Maguire at the back, mate? Have people still got <laughs> trust in him to do the job? Um, look, I think when he was selected for the squad, I think there was a lot of people that disagreed with that decision. He's not been playing for Manchester United. He's not been in good form for quite some time now at club level. But what you have to say about Harry Maguire? is that he's very rarely let England down and Gareth Southgate uh, down. And I think what you've got there is you've got that trust in the sort of player-manager relationship. And maybe we don't see it from the outside looking in, um, but, you know, Gareth Southgate obviously has faith in him. And there was a few players in that squad that, you know, there was raised eyebrows around their inclusion. But at the end of the day, when you think about the fact that Gareth Southgate has taken England to the semi-finals of the last World Cup, the final of the Euros, which is something they hadn't achieved for, you know, since 1966 prior to that. You have to say that he's done a good job and he's kind of earned the trust. And, you know, the, the mood here in the UK in the lead-up to this World Cup has been really mixed because you've got the kind of diehards who say, well, he's done brilliantly, he's earned our trust. And you've got the other side of that who say he's actually the reason that England didn't go on and win either of those two competitions. I'm a little bit in the middle. I think there are things that Gareth Southgate does that he could do better. I think there are decisions that he makes that do baffle at times. But I think overall, you know, the job he's done is is better than most England managers 
in my lifetime. And I think you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt at this stage. Yeah. And Maguire's one of those players that if he performs, it's a master stroke from Southgate. But if he fails, then it's all on Southgate again as well. So he's kind of... Uh, living or dying by the Harry Maguire sword, shall we say? <laughs> you can't yeah. win. You can't win if you're the English um, football coach. I've been watching them since Paul Gascoigne went out there and played for them. Um, are you, are you um, like a believer in the formation that they're using, Harry? That four-three-three at the moment. So I think it makes a lot more sense than than the five-man defence that we've seen England use in the previous tournaments. But I, I say that based on the opposition that they played today. And based on the group, which is a group that they should really top and should really win. But I would understand if later on in the tournament, Gareth Southgate felt the need to revert back to that system, the back five. Um, you know, yes, having the additional midfielder is great in terms of creativity and getting forward. But unfortunately for England, I don't think they have the best individuals at centre-back especially. And I think Gareth Southgate probably will look at it and think, I need to reinforce that against stronger opposition later in the tournament. If you play the Brazils, the Argentinas, the Frances, you're going to need uh, that extra strength in the middle of the park. So I think the formation he went with today worked and is the right thing for now. But I just wonder if he'll revert back to what's worked in the past against some of the bigger nations later on. Qatar, mate, has been uh, spoken about all the controversy that's been involved lead up to this. What have you made of the start of the tournament in Qatar? And do you think... Do you get a sense that FIFA will be regretting siding with the host nations so much during this, particularly with what's been going on in Qatar? Yeah, I think there are some issues that, you know, they're, they're just in, there's some things that are indefendable. And, and, you know, FIFA have been, in my opinion, a little bit silly in trying to kind of come out and defend certain issues and certain actions. Um, at the end of the day, though, as I've said to people all week and sort of in the build-up to this World Cup, it's too late now. This decision was made, what, 12 years ago to give them the World yeah. Cup? And in all yeah. that time, you know, yeah, we've heard murmurings about it and we've heard bits and pieces here and there. But ultimately, you're not going to get the World Cup changed a week before it starts. So for me, it feels like all the noise is, it, it should be there and it's, it's right to highlight these issues. But it just feels like, you know, the tournament started now. Let's, let's watch the football. Let's enjoy the football. If we can use the football to send the right messages and to, to impact change, then great. But all this kind of bashing of the tournament now that it's underway just doesn't make sense to me. It's, you know, it should have been done 10 years ago at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a fair point, Harry. Hey, before we let, we get, we let you go, mate, we need you to appraise and rank, if you can, our sweepstake teams here. So there's five of us on the show, oh, okay. and we have got... Okay. It shouldn't be too hard for you. You'll be able to do it off the top of your head. We've got... Uh, Joe with Brazil, we've got Nepia with Mexico, we've got Izzy with Belgium, I've got the Dutch, and Kimpy's got <laughs> Wales. Probably at the, the back for a reason, I think, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think, I think Brazil is obviously the strongest one, uh, no question about that. Uh, Mexico could potentially be a dark horse, so I'd be interested to see how that one goes. Uh, Belgium are another one of those teams that fall into the dark horse category for me. It wasn't so long ago that they were ranked number one in the world, but uh, it's an ageing side uh, in a lot of areas, and I worry about that. Uh, Wales, no, I think Wales could easily get through the group, and then from then on, it's knockout football. Who knows? Oh, and yeah. remind me who was oh, going on. Hey, ne- ne- the other one. Hey, Netherlands, and Netherlands. <laughs> Netherlands, yeah. 
I, I watched the Netherlands earlier today, actually, and I, I didn't think they were that great against Senegal. Oh, I thought it was a pretty easy yes. match. <laughs> but, but they got they got all three points, and that's what matters. So uh, they should get through that group as well. And again, it's knockout football. That's what people forget. Anything can happen in a one-off game. Anything can happen in a penalty shootout. So who knows? Hey, Harry, well, I'll tell you what, you just get all your money and you go and like, get another mortgage on your house, put it all on Wales because they're going to bring it home, son. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Harry Simio out of the UK. Thanks for joining us this morning on Kempi and Izzy for breakfast, mate. We love talking here, everything football. I'll tell you what, I'm a believer that 4-3-3 formation. The boys here aren't. They've got no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, I know you understand what I'm saying, Harry. Thanks a lot for joining us this morning. Cheers, guys. Thank you. We're going to talk some golf and some positive conversations need to be had right now. The Lydia Co. Redemption Tale has undoubtedly been one of the best sports stories of 2022. And after reaching as low as 52nd in the world, you could visibly see how much this moment yesterday meant to her. It's official. Lydia Co. is a champion again at the CME Group Tour Championship. And the Player of the Year. Got to see a shot of her fiancé for the first time too. She gave me a wee nice wee hug. How good. Yes, a two-shot victory at the LPGA Tour season-ending CME Group Tour Championship. But it was more than that. It was her third win of the year. She was named LPGA Player of the Year and also collected the biggest winner's check in the history of women's golf. 3.25 million New Zealand dollars. How good. It's capped off an incredible year for Kiwi golfers and for Lids. Couldn't be more deserved as she heads into an off-season with other duties to complete a wedding. Grant Boone is a golf commentator who has seen Lydia's career play out over the last decade. And he's with us this morning. G'day, Grant. How you doing? Kia ora, boys. How are you? Kia ora. We are very... Ketapai. Ketapai. Thank you. Very good. Mate, how impressed is the golfing world with this full 180 from Lydia to climb back to the top? What a year. She is, um, she's, she's very simply one of the greatest, we, we can sum it up like this. She's very simply cemented herself as one of the greatest players in the 72 years of women's golf. She's 25 wow. years old. She did things that no one had ever done, including Tiger Woods. Uh, at, at, at the age that she did it, she won an LPGA tournament when she was 15 she won another when she was 16. She won a, a major, a couple, both of her majors as a teenager. Uh, and then, uh, and you all know this as athletes, uh, there, there are three things that are hard in sport. Achieving greatness, maintaining greatness, and then regaining greatness if you've lost it. She has done all three of those things. She was great from day one. She sustained it for 100-plus weeks on the amateur level as the number one ranked player in the world. She sustained it for 100-plus weeks as the number one ranked professional. Then, as you just mentioned, she dipped below the top 50 in the world ranking. Uh, she's never been afraid to try, like Tiger Woods, by the way, never been afraid to try to uh, risk momentary failure for long-term success and yesterday, to me, was the culmination of a two-year journey working with Sean Foley, although she's just now changed because she's moving, as you mentioned, getting married, moving out to the West Coast. This was a two-year journey. Sean told me we did what we set out to do, and I thought yesterday was the culmination of that journey back to the top.
and it couldn't happen to a more impressive human being than Lydia Ko. Yeah, you're dead right there, Grant. She um, she hit the nail on the head there, and only 25. Did you think yesterday going down that back nine, uh, when she's hit that ball, it looked like it went out of bounds, and she had to place it, that she's showed a lot of steel um, with with them sort of biting at her heels? Well, she did, and the the player with whom she was uh, battling most closely, you know, is Leona McGuire, who has just come onto the scene uh, on the professional ranks in the last year and a half or so. Although she, like Lydia, was a great amateur player and from Ireland and played at, at Duke University, and uh, and you think about uh, Leona and Lydia uh, both, you know, being greats. You're really the first greats from their country. In women's golf, though there have been other greats, of course, including my good friend Craig Perks uh, from New Zealand in men's golf, and of course, obviously, Michael Campbell and, and Bob Charles and so many others. But uh, to, Leona is an absolutely gritty competitor. She has the opposite type of on-course uh, demeanor that Lydia has. Lydia, you would think, is just playing in a pro-am with a couple of her mates, uh, <laughs> having some fun. Never mind the fact that two million American dollars are on the line, and and Leona, you would think someone has just you know kicked her dog. Uh, she she's she is she has that game face uh, that that you'd love you know uh, on the pitch you know and uh, and so for Lydia when she, when Leona hits one into the water, Lydia, you think is just going to go out way to the left and 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 be safe. Instead, she lost it a little bit to the right. It was very windy. Uh, and she got that uh, drop, and she hit it onto the green, and, and didn't lose any ground to Leona. And then just an absolutely clutch performance at the 16th hole with with uh, you know, with uh, a birdie there at the par three, and put it away. Lydia is is she? You know, the LPGA has a, a points based player of the year. It's not a vote like the PGA Tour, uh, and, and and therefore uh, it's all about how many top tens you rack up. You can finish 11th. Or you could finish dead last and you get no points. Same amount of points, zero. But one through ten gives you points. Well, so for Lydia, she wins the she wins player of the year on points. But really to me, and I actually think it ought to be a vote, but no one asked me. So I so there you go. Um, <laughs> because, I, because I think you as athletes know, you know who had the best season. So I, I would rather the, the players decide it. But what I love about Lydia is she won the second event of the season. She won the uh, third to last and last event of the season, and she had a dozen top tens in between. She was great from start to finish. She deserved it absolutely. She was the best player on tour this year. Oh, man, I just love listening to you talk. Can you just can keep going? Isn't it exciting? It, it, I'm telling you, she is She is. She is yeah. such a delight, and, and, and you all know what it's like. I mean, when you've, when you've been great – and then all of a sudden things don't go great. Uh, it can really mess with uh, an athlete's head. Uh, and and she was resilient. She her attitude never dipped. She she is confident. She is strong. She's mighty. She's mentally tough. She's willing to put in the work. A lot of people said, "Why would you change? You know, a swing." that led to so much early success. They said the same thing about Tiger Woods because great athletes think I can always get better. Is it a risk? Yes, it's a risk. But there's also a risk of doing nothing. 
the, the risk is someone else will get better and pass you. And I, uh, I applaud Lydia. She's knocking on the door of becoming number one in the world again. She is a fraction of a point behind Nellie Corda. Uh, and and if, if Lydia does get back to number one, she will be, uh, it, it will be the longest stretch between number one rankings. She had it last in 2017. Now she's knocking on the door again. And speaking of knocking on the door, one of the most elite uh, halls of fame in the world is the LPGA Hall of Fame. It's also points-based. Well, by winning yesterday, she got a point. By winning player of the year, she got a point. And by winning the scoring championship for the season, she got a point. So she got three points yesterday. She's at 25 points. Two more points automatically qualifies Lydia Ko for the LPGA Hall of Fame. So don't just take my word for it when I say she's one of the best ever. <laughs> the, two 20, more points and it will be, years it will of be age. a fact. Oof. Twenty? How about 25 points at 25 years of age? How about that? How many more years we you think we got of Lydia? She's always stated she's going to retire at 30, but, mate, it's, she's still so young, five years, and what more can she achieve? I, I'll say this about that. Um, it, it's, it's, a, yeah. it, it's, a, it's an old 25, if you know what I mean, and you all know as, as competitors, it's when you have been grinding so hard for so long and you're Lydia who has been in the spotlight since before she, you know, could even legally drive a car in the United States. Uh, she, she, um, you know, she, it's a, it's an old 25. My, my colleague Morgan Pressel was 12 years old when she qualified for the U S women's open. And, and last year she retired at the age of 33. And that, that seems really young. But we see this in tennis, don't we? It, it, for Morgan, she was in that fishbowl, as we say, you know, for so many years with people, you know, staring at her and talking about her and analyzing her swing and why haven't you won more and and, and what what's going on. And, and for, for Morgan, it was 20 years. So you say, well, she's only 33. Yeah, but it's 20 years in the spotlight for Lydia. You know, we're talking a dozen years now under intense scrutiny from New Zealand with you all, from Korea, where she was born and, and has, still has family, from the United States, from all over the world. She has been an absolute icon and a flag bearer for, the, for women's golf and in sport largely around the world. And, and, and so I think, I think we'll see her for another year or two. Let's see what marriage does for Lydia. She's going to get married next mm -hmm. month. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I do know this, uh, this is, uh, this is something that women, you know, women have to think of that men don't, if, if you want to start a family, you know, for guys, it's like, okay, I missed this tournament, but now I'm back next week or, Hey, my wife's okay. <laughs> I'll zip in and play the tournament on Thursday morning for women. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're having to make a decision like Annika Sorenstam, Lorena Ochoa, the mm -hmm. greats, they decided, I want to have a family, so I'm stopping. I, I'm going to be. I'm going to stop for good. Uh, others tried to come back, like Julie Inkster and my longtime uh, colleague Judy Rankin. They came back after they had a kid or kids, and Nancy Lopez won after that. You just have to make a decision, but it's a much tougher decision. We'll worry about kids later. Let's just get to the altar first for Lydia in June. Yeah. Uh, and um, June is the husband, not the month. It's December, but June is her husband, her fiance. Um, so I, I, I couldn't be happier for her. She's an absolute uh, delight in every way. Uh, she she is uh, she's just she's the best. 
and, and she's the best this year. Oh, still waiting for the invite. Did you get one? Did you get one, Grant? Uh, but I haven't been home, so it, it, it could be in the mail. And, you know, hey, boys, how about this? What if we crash the wedding? That's been done before. <laughs> Let's do how it. about if I meet you there? Do I'll meet you all there. <laughs> do a show live. Maybe they'll we'll make a movie there, about it. The Wedding Crashers. Oh, that's already been done. <laughs> wedding Crashers too. <laughs> Oh, great, mate. I could listen to you all day. That that voice is so synonymous with the biggest golfing events around the world. We appreciate your time, Grant Boone, talking about our girl, Lydia Ko. Oh, we're so proud of her, and I've got to know her over the last couple of years. She's an absolute champion, and, uh, yeah, her success will live on for a very, very long time. Thank you so much for your time, Grant. Great to talk to all of you. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um... Occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.